shows us what you want from us, our hearts to petition you. Not to be seen by men, but to genuinely desire to commune with you. Father, we pray that now as we look at your word, that you will encourage our hearts. That you will help us to look to you. But above all things, Father, we pray that you are glorified. We long for you to be hallowed. We want you to be glorified. Help us now, Lord, to understand your word, to apply it, and to live by it. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Today we get the great privilege of having our Lord teach us how to pray from His Word. It should be encouraging to all of us. I long to know exactly what the Lord wants me to say and I want to talk to Him and commune with Him and grow in my relationship with Him. I'm fairly sure all of you who are believers in this room want the same thing, right? You want to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and you want to enjoy your fellowship with Him. Today we see Jesus explains what our prayer should look like. I'm not positive we're going to get through the whole prayer, I'm sorry, but it is loaded with glorious truth and we're just going to have fun uh, digging in to this prayer Remember the Sermon on the Mount just to keep you fresh in your mind and to have this in your mind as we go through this. The Sermon on the Mount is the king's instructions on how his subjects should live in the world until his kingdom is established here on earth. How we're supposed to live, how his servants are supposed to live in this world that's lost and dying and hating him until his kingdom comes and establishes his kingdom on earth. We've seen Jesus spends a a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount confronting the self-righteous religious ways of the disciples' culture and the people that they lived around. He confronted a works-righteousness mentality, properly expounding upon the law and showing how the oral traditions fell way short of God's holy, righteous standard as revealed in the Word. Then he warned the disciples to avoid practicing their righteousness for the praise of men. We talked about that a little bit last week. We began to develop this section. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Indeed, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He warns the disciples, avoid doing things, religious acts, so that people will notice you and praise you, as implied. Last week, we saw that Jesus called called for a God-glorifying pursuit of righteousness. To pursue righteousness for God's honor and God's glory with pure motives. And Jesus gave his disciples three corrections for the hypocritical, self-righteous religious system of their day. That they should have a secret, God-glorifying giving. That they should give not to be noticed. That they should give with pure motives for God's honor, not trying to be noticed by men. And second, that they should have a secret, God-glorifying prayer life. Or that they should pray to glorify and honor God, not to be noticed by everybody else. And then finally, we talked briefly about secret, God-glorifying Fasting. We'll get to this as we get through this passage. We're kind of stuck in number two. And we might be there one or two Sundays. We'll see. 
Jesus has corrected the false religious practices in this section. He's called for acts of worship with an audience of one in mind. That is the Lord. That we do all of our religious activities, our our things of worship for Him and for His glory. and And for Him to be pleased, not for others to see us. We don't do it in order to earn our way to heaven by any stretch, but we do it to glorify God and to enjoy God. Friends, the Lord desires genuine worshipers, disciples seeking to serve Him out of gratitude and love. That's what motivates us. Not to be be noticed by others or to somehow earn the favor of God. God doesn't want people-pleasing performers. This is one of the things that we really strive for in our worship here is not to be just people-pleasers and just entertainers. We want to be worshipers in spirit and truth and to do it in a way that brings glory and honor to God and doesn't bring attention to us because it's not about us, is it? We're here to worship God. God wants humble servants. So in the middle of Jesus' explanation of prayer, he gives his disciples an example of prayer that glorifies God. This prayer has been called the Lord's Prayer for thousands of years, ever since Jesus was here. However, it shouldn't be called the Lord's Prayer because Jesus never prayed this prayer. It actually should be called the Disciples' Prayer. Or the Lord's instruction on how to pray. But not the Lord's prayer. Actually, the Lord's prayer should be John 17. (laughs) That's the Lord's prayer. When Jesus spoke to the Father as our our high priest. And he interceded for us. It's important to remember this setting for the Sermon on the Mount. And the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6. Jesus is correcting self-righteous prayers of the world and the Jewish people. Jesus calls for secret prayer to your Father who is in heaven. Prayer that seeks to glorify God, not praying to be noticed by men. Prayers without meaningless repetition. Prayer that isn't seeking to somehow earn the ear of their false god. Like the Gentiles. Look at verse 7. Very interesting. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose they will be heard for their many words. But as we saw in one fifteen, what do the idols of men have? They have ears, but they do not what? They do not hear. But it brings to mind the The story, uh, one of my favorite Old Testament passages when Elijah calls down fire, right? Isn't that a great scene? Amazing scene. But you remember the lead up to it and the prophets of Baal as they ran for hours and hours and hours crying out to Baal. And at one point, Elijah begins to mock them to a degree. Maybe he doesn't hear. Jesus is confronting the religious, the self-righteous religious ones and saying, look, they say all these meaningless repetition in order for their gods to hear them, thinking that they may earn some favor with this God, but in fact, they don't hear anything because there are no God gods. That's what they are. But Jesus says, that's not who you are. Your father hears what you pray. He hears what you ask for. So Jesus gives an example or a model prayer here. The prayer is directly to God. It is an intimate prayer. It is a personal prayer. It seeks God's glory, not man's approval. It's a short, simple, concise, direct prayer. It reveals a humble heart. You can only have a humble heart to pray this prayer. To pray a prayer like this. It's based on faith, not works. It's a beautiful prayer. 
That's a perfect model for us to follow. However, the irony is this prayer was twisted as early as the second century of the church into exactly what it wasn't supposed to be. It became words to be repeated without thought of what was actually being said. The Didache, a non-biblical church document written most likely in the hundreds, in late hundreds, that this said that this prayer should be recited three times a day. Interestingly, look at this. Let's read the, the eighth part of the Didache. You're saying, what in the world are we doing this for? Just hang in there. This is church tradition, and they... This is, their, this is a translation of the eighth part of it. Let not your fasts be with the hypocrites. Well, everybody in the room says, amen to that. Stop there, please. For they fast on Mondays and Thursdays, but you must fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. Well, uh, did they not just miss the whole point? And do not pray as the hypocrites, but as the Lord commanded in this his gospel. Pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as heaven, as in heaven, so also upon earth. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into trials, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Pray thus three times a day. Missed it. We see in this section that this document that became almost like a catechism to tell the people exactly what they should do every day in order to somehow what? Please God? Became very popular. Professing church. Many were doing this. Just a hundred years after the Bible was completed, the canon. Hermeneutics, beloved, listen, hermeneutics, how to study the Bible, understanding context, and applying the Bible accurately. Very, very important. How we interpret a passage and apply that passage is extremely important. The section around the Lord's Prayer is all about avoiding religious self-righteousness. And all about avoiding earning the ear of a deity. Fasting was to be in secret without others even knowing when it was done. Yet, this document rebukes those who fast on Mondays and Thursdays and encourages Wednesdays and Fridays. Then the very prayer that was meant to be good for an example of how to avoid meaningless repetition is given as something to what? Meaningless repetition. Instead of hearts humbly committed to God's glory, it appears to encourage more fake methods of religion. This is what's happened. But I want to warn you. This is... All of our hearts. All of our hearts. We can even take God's word and twist it to feed our fleshly pride. Thinking that somehow our repetition of the actual words can somehow make God listen to us more or approve us. But Jesus gave this prayer for the exact opposite reason. He gave it as an example. But it was not meant to be copied exactly without any thought of what it actually meant. He gave this prayer to show us the heart of a genuine disciple's prayer. The elements of the prayer, of this prayer, include... We'll get to that in a second. Include the disciple's humble desire for God to be glorified. That's what prayer's all about. It's petitioning God for Him to be glorified. We'll see it in a little bit, 9 to 10. The disciples' humble dependence on God for our needs. That is, we look to Him because He's the provider in 11 through 13. 
There's an address and then six petitions that the disciple prays. And again, these aren't to be exactly, say the same exact thing. I don't know about you, but do you all remember when the, the book Prayer of Jabez came out? It was a hit, man. I think that guy sold a lot of them. I bought one. I admit it. I read it and started praying the prayer of Jabez. It, it, full disclosure here. It's something about our hearts. We just want something easy, don't we? Three little, three little sentences I can repeat and just fix it. <laughs> but, but Jesus didn't want us to just say the same words over and over. He wanted us to understand the concepts. And apply the principles to our life and the way that we pray. So the prayer breaks down into five sections. And we're going to kind of make our way through this. And I hope you're encouraged in your own prayer life. That we'll evaluate our hearts and we'll look at our hearts and how we pray. And hopefully it's going to encourage all of us to pray and to seek the Lord's face. Because he is good. So the prayer breaks down into five sections. The exhortation to pray. In verse, the beginning of 9. And then uh, the revealing address that we'll talk about in a minute. The petitions for God's glory. The end of 9 to 10. And the petitions for personal provisions. In verses 11 to 13. And maybe we'll get to the required heart in prayer. In verses 14 to 15. So let's start with the exhortation to pray. Notice, Jesus says, he exhorts them. Pray then... In this way. It's very important that we notice. Pray then. Or pray therefore in this way. The therefore is therefore. Or then is there for a reason. In light of what he's already talked to about. In light of not doing it like the Gentiles. Then pray in this way. Don't pray with meaningless repetition, thinking that somehow their numerous words are going to earn the favor of God and catch his attention. Jesus starts with an exhortation here. He commands them, pray in a certain way in light of his previous rebuke of the fake religious prayers. Jesus says, pray in this way, not pray specifically But listen closely to the difference. Listen. Jesus says, pray in this way. He doesn't say, pray this. Very interesting. Pray in this way, not pray this. Listen closely. You get it. Don't mimic or just copy my words. We're all good at copying words, aren't we? How many of you learned, God is good, God is great. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. I remember learning that in my pretty much unbelieving home growing up. We had those prayers. Good at mimicking prayers, but not necessarily what? Knowing anything about the one we're praying to. Or whether they, whether he even existed in our minds. This prayer, the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer rather is not a magic wand that automatically summons God either. Aren't we too much like that in our prayers? We often find ourselves using religion or just kind of doing a religious act, thinking that somehow we're going to wave a wand and all of a sudden the genie is going to come out and give us something. This is not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be an intimate conversation between his children and God. It's meant to give us an example of who we address, what we ask for, and what should be our heart as we pray. Prayer is essential. The message matters. And the motives of the prayer are crucial. I'll say that again. You need to understand this and you need to apply it. It's all implied in this prayer. Prayer is essential. He wants us to pray. The message matters. You just don't say whatever you want to say. Not what your flesh wants. And the motives of the prayer are also extremely crucial. The heart behind what you say and where your heart is when you're talking to the Lord matters. These things matter. 
Just a practical suggestion. On a side note, you ought to try writing out your prayers for a week or two. Something I'd strongly advise. How many of you, just by chance, how many of you uh, have written out prayers before? Raise, them, raise your hand real high. I just want to see. Wow, that's cool. Cool. Yeah. Journaling is a wonderful way to, to write out your prayers. Talk to the Lord. Write them out. It's okay. He didn't say not to in this, okay? One of the reasons why I like to do it is because I like to look back and say, wow, you answered that prayer. And on top of that, it, it kind of, I, I, I have my journals from when I first became a believer. And those prayers are really interesting. <laughs> I like pulling them out every once in a while and saying, oh, God, you still, you are working in me. <laughs> I don't think like this anymore, even in my prayers. Thank you. <laughs> right? It shows God's working and it shows our heart and shows how patient he is with us. But even if you don't journal, you need to pray. Another important implication is prayer of prayer in this is even if it's for a short time. I think some of us think we aren't pulling the hour prayer time. We are total failures and we give up altogether. Uh, this, you know how long it takes for this prayer to be read? 23 seconds. Again, you don't need only to pray for 23 seconds. That's not his point, right? He's not saying make it so short that you only pray 23 seconds. I can just see some of the young people in the audience. Okay, I got my stopwatch. Here we go. I can do 23 seconds. That's not his point, right? But there is an implication by this that you need to pray uh, no matter how short it is or how long it is. You need to talk to the Lord. Again, some of us have this idea that we have to be uh, Mueller and pray for four to six hours a day. Or if I'm not praying that much, I'm not going to pray at all. And I just walk around in total guilt and shame. We need to pray. This passage shows us that God wants us to talk to our Heavenly Father. To praise Him and to petition Him. He loves to hear His children pray. My oldest is on a mission trip, y'all know, in Honduras, and I've been so encouraged this week, though the, the phones have been spotty and the services dropped often, he has made a point to call me a number of times on his break. It's, been, it's brought an amazing amount of joy to my, this father's heart just to hear him. It's been one of those moments where he, he calls and says, I just want to talk to you, Dad. And I want to run some things by you. I'm so encouraged by that. He gets joy out of just talking to me and his mother. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that's great. I love that. Now, I want you to know that's not always, but <laughs> for some reason, it's really kicked in while he's been in Honduras. And we get so much joy out of this conversation with our son. If we, being sinful, get joy out of our children's conversations and talking, don't you think our Heavenly Father gets joy out of His children curling up in the lap of Him and talking to Him and communing with their Father? So we pray, no matter how long or how short, we pray, and we pray in this way. This brings us to the next section. The revealing address. The revealing address. Our Father who is in heaven. This address is profound. In just a few words, the transcendence of God and yet the intimacy of God, our Father, is revealed. He is our Father. This is a possessive this is an amazing truth. The creator of the universe who I sinned against is actually my father. <laughs> my father, your father, all who believe in him's father. He's not a distant, unknowable 
God like the pagan deities. He is our Father. He is the disciples' Father. Again, Jesus is speaking of the new covenant relationship that was being established by His first coming. God was going from the holy and unapproachable God because of our sin to our Father because of what Christ did. What a great truth. Meditate on that truth. This was all because of what Jesus was doing and would do. Remember Jesus' words to Mary after his resurrection. Do you remember those words? John 20, verse 17. Jesus said to Mary, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father. My God and your God. Jesus was saying shocking statements. Truths about who God was. That His God, His Father, was now their Father. And His eternal Father became our adopted Father. We who have repented and believed in Jesus are now adopted into the family of God. We are now heirs according to promise. We now have access to God through Jesus Christ. We call Father, Abba Father, by the Spirit that dwells within us. Jesus exhorted His disciples to address God as their own Father. Yet at the same time, in like an amazing way... He's also the infinitely different and transcendent God, as we see in this address. Our our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. He is the Father not of this earth. He's the Father set apart from this world. He is a Father nothing like earthly, fleshly fathers that characterize this world. He's distinct. This is very important. I've heard people say, I've, said it, I've heard it numerous times, I'm not comfortable with calling God my father because the title father is reserved for my earthly father who mistreated me and was a horrible father. I get it. I understand the pain. Well, beloved, that's why here it says our father who is in heaven. That's a distinctly different father. That's a father far above any father in this room. And really it's the only father we should worship and honor on Father's Day, right? The father who adopted us through his son Jesus. Our holy, set apart, different than this world father. The closeness and Yet, transcendence of God is revealed in this address. Again, there's a tension that we must embrace. I know, I know, we're all prone to take one side or the other, right? We're all prone to either make it all about, I can approach God, no time, no problem, any way I want, completely open. Yes, we can. But yet there is this also, I crawl into your presence. By the grace of God, I can talk to Father, my Father, who is in heaven. There's, a, there's a, an amazing tension that goes on in your soul. Do you have this? If not, maybe you're balanced one way or the other. Wrong. <laughs> maybe if you... It's somewhat like our little Samuel. I love him dearly. Where is he? I love him dearly. But he hasn't quite got the idea of respecting parents and adults yet. We're working on it. He'll come up and go, right to my face. This is daddy, your son. No. All too often, beloved, we either treat God as, what is it, our homeboy? When we should be thinking He is God Almighty, El Shaddai, the Holy, Holy, Holy One. 
But then there's the others. Oh, I'm so sinful, so wicked, so wretched that I got to clean up before I can even talk to God. Oh, you've missed the point, beloved. If God allows us to into his presence to talk to him and to petition him based on our worth and our good deeds, he's not the God of the Bible. Our Father loves us not because of our worth and our goodness. Our Father, who is in heaven, loves us because he's loving and kind and forgiving and approachable. We need to stand in that paradox as we address our God. And as we talk to him, we stand in that paradox, that tension. We leave it there. And if we ever find ourselves flipping in our prayers, we, if we're confronted, have y'all ever done that, by the way? I've had that happen to me. I'm, I'm just kind of talking to the Lord like, no big deal. And then my conscience grabs a hold of me and I believe it's the Holy Spirit. Like, do you, do you know who you're talking to? Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Holy Spirit, most likely for convicting me of this thinking I'm able to walk with you and talk with you in such a flippant way without any respect for you. You see the tension. (laughs) This is a masterful prayer. Yet he's our Father who is in heaven. The who who is in heaven makes us want to crawl to him with our faces down. But the Our Father makes us want to leap to Him with smiles on our face. (laughs) Meditate on that for a week. (laughs) That's good stuff. Let's move on. This brings us to the next section. The petitions for God's glory. The petitions for God's glory. Three petitions for God's glory, or God to glorify Himself, are found in in this passage. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are the petitions on earth as it is in heaven. Some make a very good case that on earth as it is in heaven is for all three of the other commands implied by it. Each of these are imperatives. Petitions for God to do something. They are what a child asks their heavenly father for. One thing becomes clear immediately from the beginning. Jesus wants God-centered prayers, not man-centered prayers. He wants God-glorifying prayers, God-focused prayers, not prayers all about us. That's what he starts with. I'm not saying that you don't petition for what you need. But it's where you start makes a big difference. It's how you address him. And what you start with implies the heart attitude, doesn't it, beloved? Think about this. If your eyes and your attention are on God and his glory, then your prayers become filtered by that. And you begin to ask proper prayers and ask for proper requests. I mean, Jesus expected... The disciples to have God's glory in mind first. And then their needs. But then even their needs are to help bring glory to God as we will see. This is very important. Even in the petitions that they, we will see for personal needs that we'll see. Even those are ultimately about bringing glory to God. Not ourselves. So Jesus' first petition is this. He encourages the disciples to ask for their father. And it is this. He says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is not a word we use normally in our daily conversations, do we? This is one of those religious words that often gets repeated in our prayers, but we don't always know what it means. 
The word is actually an imperative, a command, a petition, a request. It is a request for God to make his name hallowed, to make his name reverenced or set apart, to make his name supreme or holy above all. Now, again, we understand that this is already a reality, isn't it? This is who God is. God is already holy, isn't he? His name is already holy. But as we will see, these tie together with the idea to make your name known here. For all the world and all the universe to exalt you. It's another way of saying, make your name great here. Glorify yourself, God. That's what he's saying. The request implies God is worthy of all glory and honor. It implies that he deserves it. No one in this room, I hope, would ever say, I hope your name is hallowed. To a person in here, no way. Make your name great. Hallowed be your name. Because only God is worthy of his name being glorified and honored and praised. That's why ultimately this church is not about us, is it? It's about God and his glory. People will come and go. Even pastors will come and go. But there is one name that I pray will be glorified in this place forever or at least until the Lord returns. It's the name above all names. So Jesus says, pray, make your fame, your name great. Important note, God's fame is why we pray as believers. It is for his glory. We want God shown off. We know he's worthy of praise. We know he's worthy of all honor and glory and power. We desire for God to show himself off to the world. So we pray for him to reveal his set-apart glory. But notice also we should pray, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. There's an obvious implication of this prayer. Listen closely. It has not come yet. Isn't that implied by that? Your kingdom come implies that even though Jesus is there, the kingdom hasn't come yet. Right? Hmm. If this was still the model, and Matthew was writing... And this was written after Jesus died and rose from the dead. And if the kingdom had already started on earth, wouldn't he maybe have put in a little side note like he does in other parts of the gospel and said, hey, wait, wait, the kingdom's here now. You don't pray it, let your kingdom come. It's here now. You say, let it show off itself. Interesting. I think he's referring to the end, the consummation of the kingdom to come. The final kingdom to come. We wait for this kingdom every day. We long for Christ to come back and establish his kingdom. The disciples lived in a world that rejected God as his son. The God of this world in 1 Corinthians talks about Satan reigning and ruling. And the circumstances are the same today. But we pray, let your kingdom come. We long for that day. Now I admit that there are, there's an element of all new believers are a part of the kingdom to come. So we want that, don't we? We would want that. But I believe the attention is completely on God establishing perfect justice, righteousness, holiness. And showing his name off perfectly in the kingdom. We pray the exact same way. Father, may your kingdom come. Maranatha, come Lord. In Revelation 22, this is the cry of the bride of Christ. The spirit and the bride say, what? Come. And let the one who says, come. And let the one who 
who is thirsty, come and let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. There's a real sense here where Jesus is exhorting his disciples to look to the future. Look to the kingdom to be established on earth. We must petition God for the return of Christ. The kingdom to establish his kingdom on earth. I'm convinced that, I don't know about you guys, but I have studied world history. And I don't see this as God's kingdom. I promise you, America is not God's kingdom. I'm looking forward to the kingdom. How about you? It will be a great day where justice and righteousness will reign perfectly. There's also an obvious awareness here by the disciple who prays this that this is not God's best. This is, as contrary to Osteen, our best life now. This is not it. We pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And God's glory is definitely veiled in this world right now. Will we not all agree? The world groans with anticipation of the coming kingdom. It is at the consummation of the kingdom when God will be most glorified in this earth. And third, I want you to notice we are encouraged to pray, your will be done. All of these tying together. Obviously, this is not talking about God's sovereign will. We don't pray, God, may your sovereign will be done. Because then it wouldn't be, it would be more along the lines of telling him, what, accomplish I guess we could be saying, God, I'm good with whatever you do and whatever you've ordained. But I believe he's talking here more about his moral or revealed will. Let your will be done. God is working his sovereign will despite the wicked reign of the evil one presently on earth. Do you understand that if it, the facts are that God is working his sovereign will all the time right now? He is the overarching God, and His will is working perfect. This is talking about the moral will and His revealed righteousness. The whole sermon is about what? Righteousness. The whole sermon is about showing off and being a light in the world and righteousness being displayed. So when He says, let your will be done, the will would be that righteousness would be shown in every area. The disciple longs for righteousness to prevail. We sit under this continuous pain of the world's groaning under the curse. Sin is active and prevalent. And we want righteousness and justice, don't we? Not just ourselves, but in our houses, in our homes. There are times when I'm driving in the car, in the van, and the kids are just going at each other, and I'm thinking, oh, please... Just a second of righteousness. Just a, just a little bit of righteousness, please. Occasionally you're like, Lord, we are wicked sinners. Just come quickly now. This poor van deserves to fall in a hole and be swallowed up. Because we're so sinful. It's devastating, isn't it? And if you're really honest, you look at your own heart, do you see how wretched you are daily? I'm longing for his moral righteous will to be done now. How about you? It's so prevalent in my own heart. The disciples long for sin to be destroyed completely. Everybody in the room? You agree? We long for God's righteous ways to be shown off in this world. We long for the pagans to bow in reverence to the only true God. We do long for that. We long for false religions to go away. Don't we? We want worship of the one true holy God who is in heaven 
to be displayed all the time. How many of you? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I want it. I really want it. That's my prayer. May you be glorified. We want God's will to be done. Because then God's will will show off the glory of our God. And God will be honored. And he will get all the praise that he deserves. So we pray, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come as it is in heaven. Your will be done as it is in heaven. We want it here, Lord, please come. Show yourself off. And in the meantime, we pray this with the idea that he can work in us and demonstrate his glory until the king returns. We want God revealed in this world to his fullest. So this is our primary prayer as we wait for the Lord's return. And I'm not going to dig into the next half because it would just not be fair. We have lots to meditate on, don't we? I want you to chew on the holiness of God and the goodness of God. I want you to meditate on what is the heart and motive of your prayers as you go out today and this week. May your heart and your prayers bring glory to God. May you petition Him for His name to be made great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We, we praise you. <laughs> You are worthy, you are holy, you are just, you are righteous. And we live in a sinful, wicked world that rebels against you. Seven billion or more people in this world, the vast majority of them sinning continuously unrestrained in hatred of the God who made them A world in rebellion towards you, the one that created them. God, our souls groan for you to be glorified in this world. We want you to be shown off. We want it now through us, through the church, but we also want it in the kingdom to come. We long for you to show yourself off. We thank you that By your amazing grace, through what Christ did on our behalf, we can approach you. We can talk to you as our Father. Help us, Lord, to pray. And pray in this way. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing. was lost in darkest night yet thought I knew the way the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cause, you looked upon my helpless state. And led me to the cross And I beheld God's love display You suffered in my 
place you bore the wrath reserved for me now all i have is grace hallelujah all i have